Come on, it's a great day to be in church. Hey, I want to just welcome anybody that's here for the first time. My name's Tim. I'm the lead pastor. It's an honor to have you here. You're catching us kind of at the beginning portion of a really fun series. We're just having a lot of fun with this stuff. We're, we actually started a series last week called It's Complicated. And the truth is, we're just diving into some of the most complicated and sadly most controversial conversations that are happening in our culture today. And I want to just say this, if you are a part of our church or you're here for the first time, and I understand that, and you missed last week, can I just beg you, implore you to make sure you, you get some time this week to go back and watch it or listen to it, because I really feel like it's important. It sets the, the, the tone, and you'll hear my heart for why we're addressing these things, because here's the, here's the thing. At the end of the day, I, I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm not trying to like, you know, stir things up. I don't, I don't like that personally. That's, that's not me. But I do feel the weight of these conversations that are happening and for our community. I feel the challenge, as I know many of you do, even navigating our culture in these really sensitive conversations. And I, I've had parents already coming up to me telling me, we're so glad that we're talking about these things because we're not sure how to even talk about them with our kids and yet it's a reality that we're all facing today. And so I'm glad you're here. And one of the things that we said we're going to walk through, including today, is that we're going to make sure that we walk through all of these things with grace and truth. Remember we learned that last week. There's a tension that we're going to, we're going to learn to, to walk through and have conversations with family and friends with both grace and truth as we navigate these things. Now, with that being said... Today, we're going to um, dive into a really fun subject. In fact, uh, it's kind of an, uh, an old school rule, especially um, I've seen it actually posted at the barbershop where I get my hair cut. But there's this basic rule that I feel like we've adopted into society, and that is that there are two things that you should never talk about if you don't want to cause a problem. There's two things that you should avoid with your friends, your family, and definitely in the barbershop. And those two things are what? It's religion and yeah, okay, y'all know it. So here's the irony. We're in church and we're gonna talk about politics, all right? So let's just all take a deep breath uh, and exhale. It's all good, okay? We're gonna, we're gonna be challenged a little bit. And here's what I know. I imagine that in, in a group this large, and even if you're watching this online, that some of us, maybe many of us, are really politically minded. Like when it comes to politics, you gear up for it. You get excited. The first thing you do when you wake up is you look at your news feed and you're reading the different articles and you're just, you always are in conversations about what's happening or we should shooting down spy balloons and what's going on and how does that affect the global crisis that, you know, and, and you love politics. I, I understand. And then I know that there's a lot of you that are like, I could not care less to talk about politics. I understand that. Let me just say up front, and as, as I know some of us are massively invested in this, maybe because you're massively invested in our country, and that's okay. Um, what I'm going to say today, depending on how overly politically minded you are, I'm just going to say right now, um, may rub you wrong, it may step on your toes a little bit, and it may offend you. And so here's the heart that we're taking in this whole series, is that you're giving me grace to do that to you, right? Are you okay with that? No, that is not very convincing, Pastor Russ. This is going to be a tough one, I can tell already. Um, the, listen, here's, here's my point. If you get irritated or offended today, this is what I want you to do, okay? You're going to leave here, and you're going to go get lunch 
You could go get the $5 biggie bag at Wendy's. I don't care. You go get lunch. You're going to go home and take a nap. You're going to wake up and watch the Super Bowl, and you're going to forget all about this. Okay? We're going to be friends. And you're going to come back next week, and it's going to be great. We're going to have a great time. Okay? Here's the thing. When it comes to politics, and I've never noticed this any other time more so than right now in my life. It's this thought that I have, which is that everything is political. We're going to put it up. Everything. Have you noticed that everything has become political? You notice that? Like every conversation, we can't, we can't even have a civil conversation about anything today without it turning ultra political. And honestly, it's one of the reasons why we're, there's so much fighting in our world today is because we can't disagree and have a thoughtful civil conversation. Now, one of the things that I believe has kind of aided in that, and I just want to address it, is that we don't even maybe realize this, But media, social media, has kind of really served us up on a platter for political wars. Like, you understand that, right? I I don't want any of us to be naive about this. And that is this idea that the media and social media companies, and yes, the TV media that you watch, they all have one agenda. You know what that agenda is? To make money. You know that, right? Not Fox News. They just tell the truth. And the... Okay. Can we all just agree, like, Fox News wants to make money. CNN wants to make money. Facebook wants to make money. Instagram wants to make money. Twitter wants to... I don't know if Twitter wants to make money. Elon Musk. I don't know. That's become political. I don't even want to talk about that. But everything has become... And so here's how they do it. They continue to serve you more and more content and sponsored ads and you type in a Google search and it finishes the search for you depending on where you are and what state you're in. You do understand that, right? This is what we call echo chambers. And most of us are going through life and we're happy because everybody that we see in every video that we watch just reinforces what we already believe and we're like, man, all of America thinks like I do. It's wonderful. And what you don't realize, right, is that, that all of these, these uh, conglomerates, are they're keeping you hooked, watching the same thing over and over, feeding into that. And what is it doing? It's actually creating more polarization in our culture today. It's actually causing us, instead of civil conversations, to move further away from each other so that now you're the enemy. This is what's happening in our culture today. This is why we're in a culture war. And, and one of the reasons why I wanted to address politics first is because I feel like I can't even talk about any of the other subject matter that we're going to talk about without it automatically being assumed massively politically. Like, oh, you must be a, you must vote, oh, because that's how you feel about abortion and racism and sexuality in our culture or gender. Oh, it's like, no. Can we just all for a moment, like, can, can we just put that aside and can we have a conversation, a rational conversation where we don't get so angry that we have to start throwing comments and cutting each other down because that's kind of what's degrading our society right now. I think we'd all agree. And so I, I wanted an opportunity to talk about politics first to really pave the way, hopefully, so that we can have thoughtful conversations about the other things. And so because of that, um, today what I would just invite you to do, regardless of your political persuasion, whether you go, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, conservative, liberal, I don't care. Here's what I want to ask you to do. 
Could you just take that and put it aside for today? Just, you can pick it back up. You can pick it back up, and during the Super Bowl when you're bored, you can get on Facebook, and you can start throwing out comments and yelling and posting videos that you want. Okay, that's fine. For now, can we just all agree, let's put that aside, and let's, let's talk about politics in regards to Scripture, in regards to the Bible. Let's get God's heart when it comes to this idea of politics. Now, let me just say this. I don't think that there's anything wrong. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with politics, okay? I, I think what politics is like caring about, if you care about politics, that's not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with being involved in the political system that we have today. There's nothing wrong with voting and being involved in debates, healthy debates and discussions and, and, and maybe even running for office. Maybe you're someone who's, I want to run for office. That's good. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. We need more people with morals and ethics that, that are represented in, in all forms of culture. I don't have a problem. There's nothing wrong with that. And oh, by the way, um, there's nothing wrong with loving your country. Wow, okay, one person, well, I'm with you. Can I just say, I wanna say this up front as we talk about politics, I love our country, I do. I, I, there's nothing wrong with being patriotic. There's nothing wrong with loving this country. In fact, I would, I would go so far, this is my personal view, I believe that we have one of, if not the best political systems. They're not perfect, none of them are. But one of the best, I'm grateful that we have an opportunity to participate, that we, the people, can have influence in the direction of our country. And so, listen, I, what I'm trying to say is there's nothing wrong with being politically minded. But I think we need to have a proper perspective when it comes to politics as a follower of Jesus. Today's message is really geared more if you are a follower of Jesus. What is my response to politics, especially politics that I don't approve of? Okay, so as we begin this conversation, I want to define politics for us all so that we're on the same page. What, what is politics? Well, it comes from this Greek word, politika. I'm not sure if that's how you say it. But it basically means the affairs of the cities. Okay, or let me, let me say it this way. Politics represents the leading or the governing, anything that has to do with leading the affairs of the, what's the cities? Oh, that's the state that's the nation. It could be your local city. It could be your state. It could be the nation. It's anything. I think we'd all agree. It's anything that has to do with that. Now, here's what I, I do know. I, there's probably a lot of people right now listening or watching this that you're probably thinking, oh, man, I can't wait till we get to one of the other subjects because I just don't like politics that much. Listen, here's what I know to be true for all of us. Regardless if you're politically minded or not, you care a lot about politics. Like, no, pastor, you don't know me. I don't care. I really don't. No, you do care. Let, let me tell you why I really believe you do care about politics. And I know you might not care about all the arguments and the, the different parties, but I'll tell you why you care about politics is because if you've ever had leaders who have made you do things you didn't want to do, I promise you cared about it. Remember a couple years ago when they were, we were all told, you can't leave your house. You can't be open if you're a business. I bet you cared about it then. Oh, I bet you also cared about it when the federal government instituted a rule that said you gotta wear a mask over your face when you're on an airplane for three and a half hours. Oh yeah, you cared, didn't you? I'm not here to talk about masks, but what I'm saying is politically, here's what I find. All of us care because whenever the decisions are made that affect our lives, we absolutely care. And so here's the question that I think all of us really do care about, even if you're not politically minded. We all want to know when it comes to governing the affairs of our nation, of our city, of our state. Here's the question. Who gets the, to make these decisions? 
We care about that, don't we? That's why we vote. That's why we care so much. That's why we're passionate. We care about who gets to make these decisions. Here's why. Because when you boil all the politics and the political science and all of the fighting and the Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, and anybody else throws their name at you, when you get rid of all of that stuff, let me tell you what politics is really about. Really, politics is about power. If you want to know what politics really is about, to me, it's about power. It's about who's in control and who's making the decisions that affect our lives and the future of our nation. And we do care about that. And the reason why we group in political parties is because we identify more with one group or some people or candidates, and we want them to get elected because we want them to ensure that the nation looks like what we want it to look like moving forward. So politics is ultimately about power. So what does the Bible have to say about politics? Well, let me give you just two thoughts as we get started. The first one is this. The Bible is relatively silent when it comes to politics. Here's what you're not gonna find. You're not gonna find the Bible really saying, hey, this is the kind of government we should all have. You know, the, the, the monarchy, it should be a, a kingdom, it should be uh, a nation state, it should be a democracy, it should be a republic, it should be communist, it should be free. It's a, you're not gonna find that. The Bible is relatively silent when it comes to politics. However, I will say this, the Bible speaks clearly when it comes to power. You understand that? The Bible speaks clearly when it comes to power. In fact, as you follow the narrative of the Old Testament and New Testament in regards to power, here's what you will discover. Um, when the nation of Israel actually came into power of their own, like if you know the story where they were enslaved, they started as a family, grew to be a nation in Egypt, were enslaved, and then God sent Moses, you maybe know that story, to free them. And what you find in the Old Testament is most of the story is following God helping them set up and become a nation state. And so God gives them some civil law so he can govern them as a nation. And they end up going and, and settling in a land that God gave them, and God gave them rules. And you, you'll notice some of the rules that God gave had to do with when they were in power. He, he said, um, it matters how you treat foreigners. Here's why. Because when you were a foreigner in Egypt and they mistreated you, I didn't like that. So when you're in power you are not to mistreat foreigners and treat them the way you did as a slave. I mean, these are some of the things that God told them. In other words, God cares about what it's like when we are in power. Jesus kind of upholds that, by the way. When you get into the New Testament, when they were living under the Roman rule, Jesus said things like, he said, hey, when, when you're in control and you have power, however big or small, he says, don't lord it over people. Don't treat people like they're your, your objects to do what you want to do. Instead, you serve. That was revolutionary in that day. Jesus said, when it comes to power, when you're in control, you take a posture of serving others, right? That's what he said. What's interesting, though, is most of the scriptures are written to people who are not in power but are under power. Most of the scriptures that we find, in fact, the entire New Testament it's really written to people who are not in power. If you understand what was going on in first century Palestine when the New Testament really kind of started, the New Testament church started, let me tell you what was happening. Israel was living under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And the Romans were in charge. 
And here's what Rome would do. They'd come and they would kind of conquer a nation and they'd be like, hey, you guys can still operate and you can still go to your church and you can still worship and we'll let you kind of have your own rules and do your own thing. Here's the only thing. As long as you follow all the rules of Rome and you pay money to Rome, we're good with you. Just pay us money. The emperor would just say, I want money. And so the Romans were in power all the time when Jesus was on the earth in the New Testament church when the New Testament was written. Now, if you follow the narrative and history, I want to just jump like 20, 23 or so years after Jesus died and was raised to life. 20 some years after that, there was um, a new emperor that came to power, and his name was Emperor Nero. You ever heard of Emperor Nero? Anybody ever heard of him? Okay, this was a first century emperor in the Roman Empire. And interesting things about Nero, Nero was a 16-year-old boy when he was put in charge of an entire empire. His mom kind of did all of the politicking so that he could get into that position. And she liked it because she got to really control the Roman Empire. And then as he kind of grew up, you know how boys and they grow up and all of a sudden they're like, Mom, stop telling me what to do. I'm a man. I can make decisions on my own. Well, his mom wouldn't let him. So history tells us, and we don't know all how accurate it is, that he got so tired of his mom meddling in his rule of Rome um, and the whole Roman Empire that he had her killed. Not a nice son. We all agree? Not a nice son. And this is the guy who is now in charge. Now, as part of his reign in um, 64 AD, something happened in Rome. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but there was a massive fire that broke out. And it burned up a huge portion of the old city of Rome. Now, even first century historians think that it was Emperor Nero who started the fire. He started it. Why? Because he wanted to build something and there was stuff there and he wasn't allowed to. And it was historic. And so he set it on fire and he burned it. Okay, whether he did or not, we don't know. But here's what Emperor Nero did. He needed someone to blame, to keep control of it. So guess who he blamed? Christians. Ah, pesky Christians. No one likes the Christians. If there's one thing the Romans had in common with the Jewish religious leaders, it was they hated Christians. And what you find throughout the New Testament were the Christians were being persecuted, first by the Jewish religious leaders and then by Rome. And so 64 AD, he begins to kind of arrest Christians. And you know what he did to them? This is so, it's tragic, it's barbaric. He would take Christians, and not because of what they did, anything wrong, but because of what they believed, and he would nail them on crucifixes around his gardens, and they would have parties. And then at night, when they needed to see, they would douse the people in oil that were still alive, and they would light them on fire. Can you imagine that? Christians. They would take um, animals that they killed, fresh animal skins, and they would wrap them in fresh animal skins and feed them to wild dogs who would basically just eat them. And the reason why I share all that, because you're like, that is so uplifting and encouraging on a Sunday morning. I really appreciate it, Pastor. I'm glad we did this history lesson. The reason why I shared this context is because it is vital that we have that in mind as we look at a passage I want to show you, which is 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you've got your Bible with you, we're going to turn to the Bible now. 1 Peter chapter 2. The reason why it's important is because most scholars believe that Peter wrote his letter to the churches around 65, somewhere around 63, 64, or 65. Some people say 65 AD, which means this was probably all happening when Peter would write these words. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Let's look at it together. For the Lord's sake... Everybody say this word out loud with me. What are we to do to human authority? To submit. Come on, let's say it again. Submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state 
or the officials he has appointed for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. That's what they're supposed to do. I think we all agree, right? He says, it is God's will that what kind of lies, what should we be living? He says, God's will that your honorable lives, the way you live, should silence those who ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. What in the world might they be accusing them of? Could be starting a fire. Don't know, right? And it says, for you are free, yet you are actually God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God, and let's all say this out loud together. Say it with me. And respect the... This is what Peter says. Imagine more than likely to an environment where they're being persecuted. They were already being persecuted by the Jewish ruling leaders. And now Rome is now persecuting the Christians. And Peter says crazy stuff like, what does he say? And this, he says, hey, submit to all human authority. Not the king, not the emperor. Yes, even the king. Whoa, man, that's a lot. That's a lot to think about to submit. Can we all agree? When it comes to the idea of submission, because I know a lot of us don't like submission in general. I don't want to submit at work. I don't want to submit to anybody. I don't want to submit to the government. Okay. Can we all agree it's really hard to submit to someone you don't like? You ever work for somebody that you just really didn't like? Just making sure none of the staff were shaking their head yes. I just just had to make sure. sure. Uh, When I was in my 20s, I I had this job. Uh, I was working as an accounting technician for the federal government. And um, let's just say that none of us who worked in this office liked our supervisor. Uh, she was, like, really strict. She, I mean, like, if you showed up, like, 30 seconds late. I'm talking, it wasn't even 8.01, but you're, you know, 8 and, like, 30 seconds. She would come out, and she'd just hover, like, where are you? Why are you late? Like, if you went to lunch break, you had 30 minutes, you better be back in your seat ready to go. I mean, I mean, she was so strict and dogmatic, we couldn't stand her. And, I mean, we, we had a variety of names for her. I mean, I think we called her Ogre, and she was called the Spawn of Satan, and all these things. So I just, to be honest with you, like, we could not stand her. And it's easy, I think we all agree, like, it's not a problem to submit to someone we like. It's really hard to submit to someone we don't like. Isn't that true? Like, that's the really hard thing to do. And, and here's what I've discovered when it comes to submission, right? Like, it's easy to submit until you disagree. It's when you disagree with them. It's when I didn't vote for them and I didn't elect them and they're not my president. It's when we get that attitude that submission really comes into account. Now, let me bring this conversation into politics. Okay, how does it look for you and me to do what Peter was saying, which is to submit to all human authority, including the head of the state. What does it look like for us to respect the king? Well, I don't respect the president. It doesn't matter. Scripture calls us to respect the president. Well, I didn't vote for him. doesn't matter. He's sitting in a seat that matters, and so we're called to live. What does it look like to live with respect? I mean, this is a, this is a challenging question. It's a real challenging question. We'll talk about that. But here's the challenge that I always have when I read things like this, okay, even politically. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm the kind of person that whenever I'm told to do something, even if it's scripture, my first response is always, why? Are you one of the why people? But why? 
But why? Why do I need to submit to all human authority? You don't, they're terrible. Why? Why do I need that? And so I want to try to answer that question today, this question, which is this. Why should we submit to those in authority? Because I actually think this is the deeper conversation when it comes to politics. I'm not here to talk about political issues. I'm here to talk about the deeper issue. Why should we submit to those in authority? You know, um, when I, I did have a different boss later, and he used to always say this quote every time he would ask us to do something we didn't like. I need you guys to go clean out that closet. Uh, why? You ever, you ever done that to your boss? Why? Why do I have to do that? And he would always say the same phrase every single time. He would say, ours is not to ask why, but to do or die. I don't know if you ever heard that phrase. Parents would be a great one to write down. When your kids, ours, yours is not to ask why, but to do or die, right? And, and so what does it look like to ask? Well, there's two answers that I want to give why I believe it matters to submit to those in authority. The first one is this. It's because all authority comes from God. I, I think half of us are convinced. I would love for all of us to say it, because I want you to get this inside of you. Would you say this out loud? Why should we submit to those in authority? Because all authority comes from question is, do you really believe that? Well, I believe that all good authority comes from God. That, that's not what it says. My question is, does all authority come from God? Now, Peter, what did he say? We just read it. Uh, submit to all human authority. But Peter wasn't the only one. Do you know that this was the centrally held belief by all of Jesus' followers in the first century, including Paul? Now, Paul, by the way, was one of the Jewish ruling Pharisees who was persecuting the Christians until he became one. And the apostle Paul wrote a letter to Rome. Now this was, here, they would have had no idea that when they were hearing this, it was just years before what Nero was going to do to many of them. And the apostle Paul wrote something in Romans 13 I want us to look at, and look how it compares with what Peter said. He said, everyone must do what? Say it out loud, everyone must Submit to governing, well, I thought it was going to say to godly authorities. No, he said to governing authorities. For what is it? All authority comes from who? It comes from God. Hear it again. This is where we get our answer, right? And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels, resistance, we're going to, okay. Anyone who rebels against authority, this is going to be really tough for some of you is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. Ooh, let's just sit on that for a moment. All authority comes from God. And we're called as followers of Jesus to submit to authority. Now I can do that to good authority, but what about bad authority? And I think what Paul wants us to understand is the depth and understand in principle the importance of authority. I think authority matters in God's kingdom more than we know. I really do. I think it matters in our world more than we realize. You see, when God created our universe, mo most physicists, scientists would agree that they may not agree that God was the creator. I personally hold that view. Maybe you don't. But there are these universal, immutable laws that we cannot see but govern our universe. You know that, right? There are, they say, at least four basic universal laws that, that govern nature. They're natural laws. Things like gravity, electromagnetic force, nuclear, strong and weak nuclear forces. These are, this is part of reality. Our universe exists and has order because there are 
unseen natural laws that govern everything. I want to just suggest to you that there are also unseen supernatural laws that also govern the universe. Now, I'm not talking about the natural. I'm talking about the supernatural. Can I give you an example of some? Here's one that I see throughout Scripture, and I think it's real. And those who don't believe in God, they call it karma. But Scripture tells us what you sow, you will also what? That's actually a universal, supernatural law that is woven into the fabric of our universe. You can't see it, but it rules everything in our universe and God's kingdom. It's a supernatural, universal law. Can I just tell you this? I really believe that authority is a supernatural law. This is how I want you to think of it. This is deeper than just, well, I don't like it, I don't want to ever, you know. It is, a, it is intrinsic to our universe. Why? Because God, who had authority, he initiated and created the universe, and he has power and dominion over everything he's created. See, authority matters so much to God that it permeates the entire universe that he has created, and therefore it is a significant part of our world. It's not just like, oh, it'd just be nice if we all just got along and so somebody's got to be in control. No, I believe this is a universal law that matters to the heart of God. And what I think Paul and Peter are both trying to tell us is that authority matters in God's kingdom and it matters in our world. And so here's the real question. How do I submit to someone or in a political world, how do I submit to the king, the emperor, the president, the governor? How do I submit to someone that I don't trust, someone I didn't vote for, someone I don't like the way they stand for, I don't like their policies, whatever it is? Well, here's the way that I've discovered to be able to do this. And it's really important. It's this thought. I can submit to authority when I believe in God's sovereignty. This statement right here, some of you should write it down. If you wrestle with this, you should wrestle with this. I can submit to authority, all authority, when I believe in God's sovereignty. What does that mean? When I believe and hold that God is actually in control of everything, that God can do anything and everything that he wants, if I live in that world, then I can trust him. Well, what about the, the person that, that I didn't vote for? What about, like, are you telling me that all authority comes from God and that God placed those people there? And, and what about bad leaders? What about evil leaders? How do I, are you telling me that, I, that I, I'm supposed to submit? See, I think this is a really hard concept for us to wrestle with the authority concept when we think about human history. When I think about human history, can I tell you what I think about? I think about all kinds of really evil leaders that have done really awful, atrocious things to humanity. And I'm supposed to, okay, Scripture says all authority comes from God, and there's nobody that's not in that seat that God did not put them there. See, here's where I, I, I don't know if any of you wrestle with this, but I ask the questions, wait a minute. God, are you telling me that, are you, you telling me that you handpicked Mussolini or Mao or Stalin, or Lenin, or Hitler. I could go on and on. Are you, are you telling me that they're in a seat and God, you put them in that seat? No, here's how I would answer that. I don't think God handpicks leaders to run in our presidential elections and kings over our government. I don't, that's me. You can, if you want. I personally don't believe that's what 
Paul and Peter are both saying. I don't think that God handpicked Hitler to be the leader of Germany and actually go and kill millions of Jews. I don't believe that. What I do believe is from the very beginning that God gave dominion and authority over to mankind. Go read Genesis 1. When God created mankind, he said, I'm giving you authority and dominion over earth. God was transferring to us authority, and he was giving us the ability to choose. And then two chapters later, sin enters the world. And what do we see by by Genesis 6? Just debauchery. The evil runs through the heart of mankind and greed and selfishness and a desire for power causes men and people to step into positions to then create authoritarian governments and to actually do wicked and awful things. And I think it breaks the heart of God whenever he sees people suffering because of evil leaders. But here's the thing. I don't believe that God handpicked them. But this is what I want you to understand. But I do believe God is in authority over them. And if I can trust that God is sovereign over all, even the bad leaders, then I can submit to that authority knowing God is over them. This is about authority. It's a big deal in God's eyes. And that's why we're called as Christ followers to submit to those who are in authority. Now, here's the, here's the question, and it gets real for us. It gets real in our country. And that is this question. Do you trust God is in control when your party is not? Do you? Do you trust that God is in control of our nation when your party is not? And the reason why I ask this question, and I just want some of us to wrestle with it, is because for the last several years, just this is my perspective, and I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, but my view of even followers of Jesus in the church has actually been that we kind of don't. You know why I see this? Is because I see Christians and the way they respond in a political climate, in a culture war, and they look the same as those who don't believe that God's in control. That's what breaks my heart, is that we're called to be different, to live different, to think different, to love different, to be in the world but not be of the world. We're, we're called as followers of Jesus to stand out, to, to, to look different. And the reality is, is that if we don't trust that God's in control, we will never submit to someone who is in authority over us that we don't agree with. That's the challenge that we have. And here's the thing. I mean, when you think about the history of what even goes through the Bible to today, here's what I discover is that God can use whoever he wants to accomplish his purpose, and he will. If, if scriptures tell you anything, it should be that, by the way. Here's how I know that. You know the nation of Israel we're talking about in the Old Testament? You know the nation of Israel that God brought out of slavery with Moses, and, and he took them into the promised land, and he gave them this new land, and, and, and he said, you guys are gonna be a nation. He said, as long as you worship me, this is what God said, as long as you worship me, I will protect you. I'll be your God. You can be my people. Guess what they did? Started worshiping other gods. Started following the patterns of the nations around them. And when God, when that happened, God got so upset, he said, fine, you want them? I'll take my hand off you as a nation. Go ahead. And because of their disobedience, God raised up and used a king, a godless pagan king named Nebuchadnezzar, 
to come from Babylon and travel all the way to Jerusalem and wipe out the city, destroy their temple, and kill many and drag many of the other ones off into slavery. This is, the, this is, by the way, your Old Testament narrative. This is the story of Israel. And God used a pagan king who didn't even, I mean, by the way, if you want to understand about this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, okay? He was a guy that was, he thought so high of himself. You can read the book of Daniel. He said, look at all I've done. I'm like the greatest. He said, I'm like God. Are you telling me God can use a guy who acts like and thinks that he is like God? Yep, he can. And he did. He used it to bring discipline to the nation of Israel. And then after God's mercy and after several years, guess what? God used another king. And there was another king that came to power. And if you know your history, what happens is from the Babylonian Empire comes this king of Persia. His name was Cyrus the Great. Have you ever heard of Cyrus the Great? Cyrus, I'm just giving you a little history lesson because I want you to see something that's really powerful. Cyrus the Great comes to power in Persia and actually expands the empire. By the way, Persian Empire becomes the largest empire from India to Egypt in the known world. Conquers Babylon, kills their leadership, takes over. By the way, Cyrus does not believe and worship the God of the Bible. He's a pagan god. In fact, this pagan guy, this king... He said the reason why Babylon fell to them was because Marduk, the god that the Babylonians worship, actually turned on them. This is, this is what Cyrus the Great said, okay? What's fascinating is you read in the Old Testament, and you might miss these parts because they're way down in these small little books, but there was a guy named Ezra who was a scribe that was living in Babylon at the time because he was taken as a slave. And Ezra wrote down what happened the very first year that Cyrus the Great became the king and took over even Babylon. In, in Ezra chapter one, look what he says. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, this is really important. We're gonna come back to this at the end, so I want you to capture all of this. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred, I love this. Cyrus did not recognize the God of the Bible. What did God do? He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and to send it throughout his kingdom. I love it. This is God stirring his heart. Look what his proclamation was. This is what the king Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He recognized where authority came from. This is a guy who didn't even believe in this one God. But God stirred his heart and said, there's a God of heaven that gave me authority over all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Really? Guy from Persia? You're not even, what do you care about Judah and Jerusalem? God was stirring his heart. Go on. Any of us who are his people, any of you, sorry, who are his people may go to Jerusalem in Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives in Jerusalem, and may your God be with you. And this is the best part. It says, wherever this Jewish remnant is found, this is to the whole empire, let their neighbors contribute toward their expenses by giving them silver and gold supplies for the journey and livestock, as well as voluntary offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Here's the thing. I want to build God a temple. I, I worship all kinds of gods, but for some reason, God stirred my heart to build the temple that is in Israel. And oh, by the way, I want everybody in my empire to help pay for it. Are you kidding me? What would cause someone to do this? 
I know, God is in control and sovereign over Cyrus the Great. You see, when I understand that God is in control of that person who is in control of my government and my politics, I don't have to freak out. I can submit because I trust that God is in control. So why, put the question back up, why should we submit to those in authority? Because all authority comes from God. We gotta believe that. And if we do, then the second answer will be this. Our submission is a witness for Jesus. To me, this might be the most compelling reason. Why should we submit to authority, especially the authority that we don't want? Because our submission is a witness for Jesus. If there's anything that made Jesus and his followers stand out in the first century, it was that they did things that was not expected. Jesus' teachings were not expected. They were not normal in his day. If you were here last week, we, we talked about Jesus and, and his teachings. And you remember what Jesus said about enemies? Remember what Jesus said about enemies? He said to not just love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but to love your enemy. He said, if your enemy strikes one cheek, what are you supposed to do? Turn and give him the other? He said this, um, if your enemy forces you to walk one mile, what should you do? Walk what? Two miles. Do you understand that? That's not expected. That's not how we operate. Come on, Roman ruin, they're oppressing us and they're gonna make us, yep. Why in the world would you do this? Can I just tell you something? The reason why many in the world and definitely in Israel in his day missed Jesus as the Messiah. Do you know why so many of the Jews missed Jesus as the Messiah? It's because they were looking for a political leader. Oh, the Messiah. The Messiah is gonna come. And when the Messiah shows up, I mean, he's gonna, he's gonna restore Israel. He's gonna band together and we're gonna bring a rebellion and we're gonna fight back against Rome and we're gonna reclaim our rightful freedom as a nation state. In fact, so much that even Jesus' own disciples after watching him crucified and raised to life, their question to him, are you at this time gonna restore Israel? Jesus is like, guys, for real? Are you kidding me? You think I just came for Israel? I came for the entire world. I didn't just come for this nation. I came for everybody. By the way, that's really good news for most of us who aren't Jewish. I'm so thankful Jesus didn't just come to be a political leader for Israel, but he became, came to be a savior for the whole world. And Jesus is commissioned to his church. I'm talking about us, if you're a follower of Jesus, was to go and to be his witness in the whole world. Can I just tell you something about the, the church in light of what we've been talking about? We talked about Babylon, the Babylonian Empire. Do you ever talk about the Babylonian Empire today? Nope. Talking about the Persian Empire. You ever talk about the Persian Empire today? Nope. We talked about the Roman Empire. Do we ever talk about the Roman Empire still today? Nope. You know why? None of those empires still exist. Every one of those political systems do not exist today. But do you know what is still around 2,000 years later? It's the church of Jesus Christ that is still here and breathing and making a difference in the world. And oh, by the way, can I just tell you, the church had zero influence. And the church had zero political power. 
The church, they were the ones who were persecuted, and yet they changed the world, not by acting like the rest of the world, not by trying to get political power. They changed the world by loving their enemies. They changed the world by being different than everybody else. You know, you know it's a, a wonder that so many people in our culture think the church is irrelevant. Do you know what makes the church irrelevant? When the church looks and sounds exactly like culture, you don't need it. When the church looks and sounds like the rest of culture, you don't need the church anymore. And we wonder why the, the, the church seems to be in our culture today. Why are we losing ground? Are we doing that? It's because the church has allowed ourselves as followers of Jesus to become hyper-political instead of maybe becoming like hyper-prayer warriors. If you want to see revival come to our land, it's not going to happen through a political party. It's not going to happen if we get our guy candidate. It's going to happen when the church of Jesus Christ begins to look like Jesus Christ and we begin to love like Jesus and we begin to get on our knees and pray for God to change our country. That's what's going to make the biggest difference. So what's our response? Our response is, is submission. Internally, some of you, this is, this is gonna be hard. It's okay. And I wanted to say something because I thought in context of this, it really made sense. And what I'm about to say, I just, I wanna preface this once more. And this, I just say, I don't wanna say this to offend anybody. And I, I'm not saying this to make a political statement of right or left and whether you, whatever side of history, I don't, I don't really care. That's not my point. But there was something that happened politically about two years ago that broke my heart. Two years ago, it broke my heart. And again, this isn't a political statement, but on January 6, 2021, I remember where I was. I was, I was here at the church. And several of our staff, we joined in my office and we turned the TV on and we're watching the news as a mob of people are rushing the Capitol building to attack it, to break in, to try to change the election because it was stolen, all this stuff. I don't care about that. That's not, what I'm, that's not why I'm bringing it up. The reason why I'm bringing it up is because of what I saw on that TV that broke my heart. In light of Scripture, what I, when I think about my response as a Christ follower, I'm not talking about a party. I'm talking about the church. What I saw that was like burned into my memory that I can't get rid of Watching this was seeing a mob of people crash the Capitol building with a massive banner that said Jesus flying there. And you know what I thought? I imagine Jesus would not like his name attached to this. I don't care what you believe politically. If you're like, I'm a patriot, listen to me. If you're a follower of Jesus, I bet he was ashamed to have his name attached to something like that. Because that's not the response of a Christ follower. Jesus' response wasn't to rise up. It was to open his arms and to give his life. It was to love. It was to serve. And that is the posture that will change the world. I don't put my hope in any political party or candidate. If you do, you're going to be disappointed probably every four years. You're going to be disappointed. My hope is in Jesus, who, by the way, is in authority over all. He is Lord of lords, King of kings. It doesn't matter what king. Jesus is sitting on the throne that is above every kingdom on this earth. And so I don't have to live in fear, and I don't have to worry, and I don't have to panic, and I don't have to freak out when things don't go the way I think they should go. 
again, please don't take my passion as like I'm angry because I'm not. What I'm passionate about is followers of Jesus looking like Jesus so that the world would know he came for them. That's what I care about. Listen, it's okay to care about politics. Do, do not hear that I coming down on politics and you're politically minded. It's okay. It's, not, it's okay to care about our nation. It's okay to care about the values of our nation. It's okay to care about the process. It's okay to get involved. It's okay to be concerned. Can I just tell you, I'm concerned about our country. Yes, me. I'm concerned about the direction of our country, but I am not freaking out about the future of our country because I feel like Jesus is in control. God is sovereign, so I don't have to live in fear. I don't have to worry. He's on the throne, amen? By the way, let me, let me end with this. And you can still love me after this, and if you get mad, just go have a nap and watch the Super Bowl, and we're all good. We're all good. We're all good. I hope it is a little bit challenging. This series, if it doesn't step on your toes, well, maybe it needs to get stepped on a little bit. Okay, because we need to be challenged by this. I do. You know, I was thinking about um, Cyrus as I was studying this week. Cyrus the Great, the greatest king of Persian Empire, somewhere in the world, it's irrelevant. I love how God used this king to restore and to build a temple for Israel. It's beautiful. And as I was thinking about God, are you still doing things in our world today? came across something that just blew my mind. I never saw the connection until this week. Do you know the Persian Empire, primarily where the Persian Empire, do you know where that is today? The Islamic Republic of Iran. Do you know that's the official name of Iran? It's not just Iran, it's the Islamic Republic of Iran. Iran's, Iran's been in the news quite a bit for the last, what, year? As we continue to hear about this regime that oppresses women, that oppresses anybody who would protest, that we, we look at, it seems like violations of civil rights and human rights. You, I mean, we look at this, this is like, it seems like almost like this evil regime and you kind of go, God, if you're in control, how can you allow this to happen and the persecution and the things that's happened for Christians in Iran, how could you allow this to happen, God? That's interesting, 2,500 years later after Cyrus, we, we look at modern day and it's, and it's Iran. And I found this interesting statistic. Um, you know what is the smallest minority of religion in Iran? The smallest recognized authority is Christianity. Very, very small, very small, mostly Islamic. And about 20 or so years ago, there were only estimated that would actually say somewhere between five to 10,000 Christians in all of Iran. Just 20 years ago, early 2000s. We all remember that, wasn't that long ago. Do you know what they report today? This is the church. They estimate there are between 800,000 and 1 million Christians living in Iran today. Almost a million, by the way, the fastest growing evangelical movement of the church in the world today is happening in Iran. It's happening in a place where there's an oppressive regime. Is God in control? Yep. Can God use any government, any political leader, however evil, to accomplish his purpose? Absolutely. And he is doing it today because God is sovereign. He's in control and I don't have to freak out. That's the good news. And so I know this is a massively politically you know, charge season we're in, and everything is just 
And I know that many of you, maybe even here today, have even been, maybe even hurt by conversations that have happened in family. It's a tragedy to me that we would put a political side ahead of our own family or friends or coworkers that some of you don't even have conversations with people anymore. And I think we're all as a nation hurting because of this. I think what we need more than anything is the church to show up and look like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to listen like Jesus, to not react like the rest of the world. If we want revival to come, it's not coming through a political leader. It's gonna come when the church starts to look like Jesus and we pray, dear Lord, come to our nation. That's what's gonna change things, amen? Amen, let's just, let's just pray. Father, I am so grateful that you are in control. And that God, regardless of, of how we lean or feel politically, Lord, I, I really take seriously this call to look like you, Jesus. The world doesn't need more people fighting in this culture war. What the world needs to see is what it looks like for Jesus' followers to represent him well. God, give me the grace and give us the grace to submit to authority. Give us the grace, God, to respond respectfully when it comes to how we operate our daily lives. That, God, we don't just engage in social media battles and all these things, but, God, that we, that we understand what it means to live in submission and respect the president, respect our governor, respect our mayor, respect our leaders, because authority matters to you. And God, we trust you because you're sovereign over all of it. And so, Lord, I, I pray for revival. I pray revival starts with the church. Only when we come to grips with our own sin, our own failure, can it begin to spread, the revival of the church spread to the rest of our nation and around the world. And so I'm, I'm praying, God, that for us, for me, God, help me to look more like you. God, I thank you that you're on the throne. Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We give you all the praise today. And everyone said, come on, can we thank God for his presence and his sovereignty? Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.